Hey, yo, and here we go. Another episode of We Talk Music is on the air in your ear. And once again, I'm Martin. Got with me, he's the king of the casters. He is Mr. Brett Podcast. And Brett, I am stoked to talk to this gentleman today. Well, that's right, because uh, because we have a Canadian treasure today, um, a band that has been going for over 40 years. They are, we, and I know we've been listening to them for ages ourselves, but uh, they are a West Coast band. We have yeah. Neil Osborne from 5440. Neil, how are you? Hello, I'm good, guys. How are you? Well, we're great. Uh, like I say, I mean, it's great to be able to talk to you because we've been listening to you for a very long time. And, and it's great to be able to hear a West Coast band because uh, A, it's a great song and B, it's a great album. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, a little different for us, but always got to stay in that creative world, right? So, Well, for sure. And this one strikes me. Now, is this one pretty much all about your journey through the music industry? Well, it's it's a sample. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, keeps, you know, we have a lot of stories uh, in the band and that I mean, when we were talking, we so during COVID, essentially, we all got together on Zoom just like this, just to sort of stay in touch. And then we just started. It would, became a cocktail hour. It was five o'clock on Thursdays. And then we just started telling stories and laughing about it. And then. I just said, you know what? We should just write songs about some of these stories. So that's what we ended up doing. It's good. So then when you write, like, I mean, and especially in this case now, was this a different one because of COVID? I know we've heard that a lot from bands that because of COVID, it kind of forced them into a bit of a different way of writing slash recording. How about you? I mean, um, I suppose it was actually pretty quick. I mean, for myself, at least the lyrics, I didn't even write anything down. I'd come up, I'd either go through an old jam on my phone. Like often if we're doing a sound check and we have a little time, somebody breaks into a riff or something like that. And then I just grab my phone and I start to record it. So I had a pile of those and then I had a few riffs on my own, you know, and then when we were having these calls and like, well, let's, you know, let's do a song called Hey Brad, or let's, you know, Living Room Allen or whatever, or West Coast Band. Um, I just sort of picked a riff at random, striped it out onto the computer and then just started singing no more than about three takes, just making stuff up and then listen to it back. Like, Oh yeah, that's a good line. That's a good line. And then this is the first album that, that we ever done where I never wrote a word down on paper or computer or anything. I just sort of just sang it and, uh, it was quite liberating actually. So it was a lot of fun that way. Hmm. Now, is that the kind of thing that you would uh, that you would kind of carry on now as you as you move forward? Maybe, maybe not. You know, every time we do a record, we we look for you know a degree of of boundaries or limitations and try to work within them. With always one rule being, you can break that that rule. <laughs> you know, so I, I always liken it to a you know you're in kindergarten class and it's art time and it's like okay today we're going to use crayons but tomorrow we use building blocks and. So whatever album we do, we kind of do something for an inspiration. I remember what, I can't remember what record it was, but we put on 45s. My bro older brothers had uh, all these 45s and we just put something on and go, that's a good groove. Let's try and just get the groove, make up our own tune to it or whatever it would be. You know, when I think for Trusted by Millions, we used uh, David Bowie's Lodger uh, quite a bit as just like, 
just steal that 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 riff and put it right. It doesn't matter what key our song is. We'll just take that riff and put it in a piano or guitar right over top. And it just really works when you just kind of, you know, have those creative ideas and, and uh, boundaries or, or limitations, but at the same time, formulas. Like, so every time we go into a creative process, we kind of come at it from somewhere and then add it, apply it to what, what we want to do. So. Well, it's interesting, you know, when you when you talk about something like that, because it, it's just I think that so many people out there, you know, that they they write from a you know, from the same mental standpoint all the time. And it's kind of like, you know, whatever's going on. Whereas for you, it sounds like you kind of try to push yourselves while putting boundaries on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of it. Put yourself in a situation like, okay, here's, here's a pile of dirt and three stones, make something up. Um, you know, as far as what we want to say and how to say it and all the other stuff, that's a given. We kind of know now how to play, how to work together how to construct a song. So it, it, we're looking for those new ingredients to make the recipe really what it is. And that's what keeps us going. I, you know, a lot of bands uh, that maybe you could consider our peers kind of stopped making records. And I get that because, you know, the demand's not there, the money's not there. But our MO has always been, we have to keep being creative every couple of years, at least like I'm already working on the next batch of songs slowly, but they're there. Uh, it just keeps us honest and interested really, you know. And when you're working on those batch of songs, like, I mean, at what point do you take them to the rest of the guys? Um, any point really at this point, <laughs> uh, it's harder, you know, when we started out, uh, well, first of all, we were all living in the same city, which is Vancouver. And we had a place, a practice space that we would be, gosh, when we first started, it was five days a week. Like, you know, after dinner till 11 at night and just, just trying stuff, doing stuff and, you know, a little ghetto blaster cassette deck recording it and seeing where they would go. And a lot of stuff would be created spontaneously in those moments. It's not so easy to do that. Uh, like I said, during sound checks, that can still happen. Uh, but we rarely sort of get together with nothing, you know, in order to create new, new material. It's somebody's got something and then we, we work with it. How important was it then in those early days, you know, you talk about that five nights a week and, you know, from supper to 11, it, like how important was that time to kind of get you together as a band? I think it was critical. I mean, it was a very uh, obviously creative, but, you know, we were forming our, our identity and our sound as we went along. I mean, the transition from, you know, selection, the EP and to set the fire into the green record. It's quite a progress, you know, learning how to create, learning how to work together and experimenting. And I don't know, it's, <laughs> I kind of really enjoyed those days. You know, one of my favorite things is, is that potential before you kind of put the lock on it. Uh, I, I, I enjoy potential or an idea more than the conclusion. Now you have to do the conclusion. You have to finish a song, you have to release it. You have to, you know, 
presented with any kind of artistic endeavor, whether it's a painting or a novel or whatever it is, or sculpture. But that eye, when you first, like for instance, a sculptor, when he first sees that that stone or whatever, or the block of wood, and, and I can see something in there. And then that person, say, goes into it. And then, oh, it's not quite what I thought. It's now becoming this because you do that exchange, that interaction with that, I don't know what we call it, uh, that 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 a relationship between you and whatever it is you're creating becomes a new thing in a way. Um, that potential, as it's growing, as it's evolving into into something, is the best feeling in the world. It's almost sad when you have to like, okay, now we have to finish this. Somebody has to come in and be the adult and go. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we got to have a record. We got to have a song and it's got to begin and it's got to end. It's like, ah, yeah. But I enjoy the potential more than anything. Stephen Drake, who produced a couple of our records, you know, from the odds, who I think is a total genius. He, he said this great phrase that all ideas are pregnant, you know, with more ideas. And it's so true. And I love that feeling. I love how an idea spawns an idea, spawns an idea. Um, so that's the fun part of creating. That's why we enjoy it so much. You know, putting on the marketing hat and doing all that. That's okay too. But, you know, like we got this new record, West Coast Band, and I'm glad you guys like it. And actually some of the fans seem to really have taken to it. Uh, but when we go out and play, we're lucky if we can play three songs from it. And then, of course, that means we can't play a lot of songs from a lot of records. Mm -hmm. to play the... 10 to 15 radio songs that everybody knows, which is fun. And I get that, you know, <clears throat> but that's just part of the deal, I guess, for 40 years being doing this. Well, and I think that's one of the things too, about your career is that there's so many songs that people know who they maybe don't necessarily attribute to you. But then the second that you start playing it, then it's just like, Oh, I know that song. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, you know, what does that feel like? That feels, uh, I mean, good. You know, I don't know what the other side of that would feel mm -hmm. like. You know, like, you know, let's say, I can't think of a band, uh, but you would know the band, say you'd know the band more than their songs. If that's a thing, I don't really know. Or, you you know, you obviously know that's Led Zeppelin, not that we're, we're anywhere comparable to that, but you know that that's what you're hearing. <laughs> With us, it just, it's the positive side of that is it's, it's a testament to a good song that people know the song and it sticks with them. And when they hear us do it, they don't really associate us, but they know the song. So, and that's what we consider ourselves anyways, stewards of the song. You know, I went to uh, New Orleans, this is before Katrina, the first time I went with my wife and we toured all these old fabulous mansions, you know, that are a block deep. Yeah, and, I know. They're crazy. Yeah, in the Garden District. And the the uh, the tour guide that was with us said, uh, yeah, you don't you don't own these houses. You just get the opportunity to look after them <laughs> till they take everything out of you and then you sell them to somebody else. <laughs> and uh, I thought, oh, yeah, they're stewards of the song. You know, they're they're keepers of the houses. Uh, so that's what we are. We're, we're keepers of the songs. You know, we, we had fun creating them and sure we get credit and a little pay out of that. But at the same time, the song is, is it, is its own entity now. And we just have to respect that and deliver it appropriately. Uh, and the best we can. 
but it, we serve the song in other words it's cliche but it's kind of true Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so now i mean when you do like three nights at the elmo combo there like you did um does that give you the opportunity to kind of go different places with the set list not so much i mean we like to get in a in a rhythm because we really get into the subtlety i mean we could do three nights in a row and play the same set which is i think what we did uh but they're all different you know the interaction with that environment in that particular day and the crowd, there's always, you get really into the subtleties. You know, the first night we were <clears throat> pretty excited and there's a lot of sort of energy in the air. And the second night was over the top. And the third night was very controlled and awesome. So they all have their different feelings. Um, even within a song, you know, people ask, oh, yeah, how, how is it playing? I go blind or ocean pearl a thousand. 10,000 times. It's like, it's different every time. It's just, it's just, if you open your perspective to what's happening while you're doing it, it's kind of a trip, man. It's really kind of cool. You know, the whole, the atmosphere, the air, the people, the playing with the subtleties of the notes, listening to the bass and the drums and the keyboards and the guitars and just kind of finding your place in it. And, and then, then they notice what you're doing. And it's, it's really, uh, you know, at this point in the game, you really get into those subtleties. It's really cool. So how has age changed you then as you've, uh, as you kind of move along in your career? I've gotten older. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that is good. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to answer that question. There's, there's, I mean, there's only, there's only one alternative and that's not very good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think about that uh, in some ways, with especially with even other artists. You know, I was thinking quite a bit. I, I think about the Rolling Stones because we got to play with them in Calgary, actually, 2004, and got to hang out with them for a bit. And uh, I thought they were old then, and they were younger than me now, which is crazy. <laughs> um, but... You know, there's a band, especially Keith and Mick, and I guess Ronnie to some degree. Uh, you know, when you think of when you look at old footage and what they were and what they meant in in the in the '60s, or you know, and, and when I was sort of really into music, which would be the '70s, they were sort of one sort of entity and one thing and one in relation to the world they were in, and certainly with pop culture. And then you look at them now, you know, as these eighty-year-olds still kind of well, probably playing bigger places than they've ever played. And they got another tour coming this year. You just kind of go, wow, that's such a weird trip, man. <laughs> like they don't represent what they represented when they started, but they represent something else now. And they carry that, I don't know, that, that, uh, that structure that, like once again, they're stewards of the Rolling Stones and they're doing a great job of it, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you going to go to that concert? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, it's probably going to be in the summer or something. Right. And so yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's in July. We're pretty much booked from, I mean, not every day, but really middle of May to October was kind of, I can't commit to anything at that point. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know, I'd rather be playing honestly than, than, you know, seeing someone else play just the way I am. Yeah, yeah, right. Now, you know, I mean, when you 
I mean, you, one of the things that I've noted, of course, about you guys is that everybody, you know, across the board thinks that you're just an amazing live band. And, you know, how does that feel to you to, to know that you're an amazing live band? Um, well, I don't know what, yeah, I think that's a good thing. You know, so I, you know, I got a couple of stories I can relate to that. Uh, back to the Rolling Stones, you know, when we opened for them at the Saddle Dome, we, we watched their sound check. And this is after we've already met them and stuff. And they're trying to rehearse the opening of Start Me Up, you know. And for some reason, they couldn't figure out where the one was or whatever. And they were all kind of like, it was just the, uh, the four of them, I think it was, maybe five of them. Um, and Mick was, you know, come doing this, you know, crouched down, kind of waiting for the other three to get their shit together. And Dave and I looked at it and we just laughed. It's just like us, you know, they're just trying to, trying to remember how to do that and how it started and how they want to go into that thing that they used to do. And it's just like, and then when we talk to them, they're just like, you know, other guys in a band. Um, we did a festival last summer or the summer before in Lucknow. It's a country music festival. And, and we were the sort of soul classic-ish rock band to sort of give people's ears uh, their palate cleanse, you know. And we were the only band that did not play to tracks. The only band. And, you know, I, whatever. I don't, I'm not too, you know, a zealot about playing to tracks or not playing to tracks, but you're kind of a slave to that thing, right? Whereas a band that's a band, a rock band especially, you have your own rhythm. You kind of, you know, I think Ringo Starr said it best. It's like, yeah, we kind of speed up. We kind of slow down. We kind of go here. We kind of go. That's what we do too. You know, if it gets more exciting, we'll speed it up. And then as it comes down, we might slow it down. And it's it's like riding a wave if you're a surfer or a skateboarder, whatever it is, right? You don't get to do that when you play the tracks. You got to be right there where that that track is and you know we make mistakes and people kind of love it when you know i mess up a word or oops played the wrong chord but we get right back and my and our band's great you know if i take the place if i'm losing my mind for a second and i start singing the wrong part the guys will be right there with me and i think that's the testament to a good band because we are a band you know brothers in this case that are always there um so maybe that's what they mean when they say we're a good band. You know, we're not the best players in the world. We just really, once again, good at good at delivering what we what we created. Well, I think that's it, right? I mean, nobody, like no fan, I mean, most of the fans, at least not me, you know, I don't care if you if you do misplay a note, I don't care if you sing something wrong because th that's just part of the live experience and we want yeah. that live experience. And I think you owning it leaning into it and having that band that's just you know all been there all done that and kind of can can immediately shift into something else is is great yeah exactly i love those moments i mean i i saw one with paul mccartney and one with neil young where the crowd just roared because they got they kind of you know paul mccartney laughed because he croaked a note stopped and the crowd just love it was the highlight of the night kind of thing you know even though he was amazing too so yeah now then when when i mean you talk about this 40 years first off did you imagine 
1981 that you would still be sitting here talking to somebody like us in 2024? Never imagined, uh, you know, Zoom or computers that could, you know, we could talk on. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, that was never the thing. Uh, I didn't, we never, uh, never thought that far ahead, you know. I think there was, a, there was sort of a turning point maybe 20 years ago when we went, I guess we can call this a career and a living now. You know, it seems like that's what it is. It sort of snuck up on us. It was always about the next gig. It was always about the next moment. Next well, and, and yeah, and you guys also, I mean, you you were one of the first bands to have your own website. Was that... Uh something that I read while I was, uh, while I was doing some research here. And, uh, and I mean, if so, like your early adopters, I guess, of that kind of concept. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's never been the, the focal point, but yeah, we've had people, maybe I think we were with, uh, Sony at the time, Columbia records. Um, and we got plugged right into there. You know, they just hired an IT department or whatever you call it. Um, you know, that's kind of how that evolved, I guess. Uh, we didn't stick with it as much as we could have. I mean, when you're an early adopter or something, you know, sometimes you hit, sometimes, you know, you just get lapped. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, this guy was one of the first to use a computer, but, you know, everybody else made millions using it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. It's not the it's not the easiest thing sometimes when you're when you're just trying to uh to figure things out and then it can take longer to try to figure that out than it than than is worth it per se yeah sony in toronto i remember they had a, a tent with all these computers and we were doing an online chat we just played on much music awards or something and then they they drove us back to the, the building and it's like you can talk to your fans and it was the old school you know like dos or something and then the message would come in and it would be like one letter clicking at a time and then you would type it and you know five minutes later they'd respond and it was like 10 of these things going and it's like oh okay <laughs> not quick as just meeting some people backstage but i guess it's okay <laughs> you have the future how, how important was sorry how, how important was much music to breaking you guys how how much do you think that that had an influence on your career because you guys in the latest video you have a little I don't know, do a little reference to them. Yeah, it's is uh I think you know, once again, I my recollection is is critical, absolutely critical. Um, you know, we just I mean Erica is a good friend of the band. We just had her on the stage, you know, doing a pretend throw like it was on TV for Baby Ran. So when we got signed to Warner's in LA and we were still up here, um Baby Ran got released, but none of the rock radio stations would touch it. It was still too weird for them. I don't know why, or they didn't, they didn't have permission or didn't feel comfortable. I don't know what the reason would have been, but much music played the hell out of it. And through that kids started phoning their radio stations saying, I want to hear that baby ran song by that band. And uh, then, you know, rock radio followed suit. And that sort of became the case for us really through the 90s, the late 80s and 90s, um, where much music would play at first. And then the radio stations would be, okay. I guess since it's, you know, being played 
you know, six, seven, eight times a day on TV, then, then, then I guess people will like it, or I don't know what they would have thought. So that's, you know, they absolutely get credit for breaking us and a few other bands, I think at the time too. Did you ever uh, see the documentary? The the one that came out? Yeah, yeah. No, Eric invited me to go to the, uh, did you see it? Yes, we did. We did. Okay. It's, a, it's a lot of fun. There's no question about it. I heard it was long. <laughs> it, it is long. Yes. I'll give you that. <laughs> invited me and I couldn't make it. So I sent my manager to be, be with her or go see her and, and uh, watch it. He said, I said, how was it? He goes, it was long. He goes, at the intermission, I thought that was it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I'm glad I didn't go. I mean... You know, I have I have pretty good memories of the whole Much Music experience, you know, visiting and playing and winning. Uh, Sheila won the best video one year. And uh, I want to keep it that way. Just keep it in here. You know, like those are good times. It's yeah, it's surreal, isn't it? To think to yourself, this helped break us. And now it's not there to help break other bands anymore. Yeah. You have to do it. You know, I mean. Uh, you hear about how many songs are released every single day on Spotify and you just go, how do you break through the noise anymore? It's pretty tough. I I don't know. And I I don't even pretend to know. I mean, when we started out, you know, we were in the Vancouver scene. It was a whole different vibe. And as youngsters, you know, 20 years old, and we were out to change the world because, you know, bands like The Clash and Sex Pistols and Elvis Costello, they seem like they were changing the world, at least in our minds, you know, rock music and uh, was a big influence on how you look at the world. It's not that way anymore at all. Um, Plus, you know, if you just basically put yourself on a stage somehow, some way, you got some attention. And then we did one of the, we were one of the first bands out of the Vancouver scene to go ahead and make our own records, like go into a studio, raise a few bucks, and put out, you know, in the local record store, local band record. And uh, that just sort of separated us from a lot of the pack at that point. Now anybody can do, you know, like I said, Spotify, what is it, 60,000 a day or some stupid number? I mean, I don't know how. And then, of course, the ones that do surface, she kind of, at least for myself, I got, I'm a little suspicious. How come this person is all of a sudden big and I, you know, how did that happen? You know, did they, they didn't start out sweating out in the clubs and getting in a van, as far as I could tell. Maybe some of them have. Maybe some of them do. Honestly, don't know. So. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and then you guys went out there and you, you got on the road, you grinded. You must have some incredible stories from being in like ice roads in the northern part of Canada in the van, just, you know, almost dying or something, something crazy that must have happened. Few things here and there, nothing too wild, you know, that involved us directly. You know, we we were part of things and seen some things, that's for sure. Uh, and we're still out on the road, to be quite honest, you know, every year. <laughs> Is Canada a different, like, you know, I mean, certainly it's a different beast than the US because of just the overall size. Like, do you find it difficult to tour? Or or is it just kind of because you're you've reached a certain point where you're able to just tour. Well, we don't technically tour. We, you know, we're, we go to like, there'll be a festival or something like that. So like I said, our work 
live, unless it's a special gig, like a corporate or something like that, or a big show. Uh, it's pretty much May to October. And a lot of towns and cities and outdoor shows and some indoor shows uh, come and go. Um, so, you know, we might be out three, four days a week, home for three or four days. And the, the tough part is the travel. I mean, we love being on the stage, love that whole scene, love playing, uh, love the interaction with the crowds, uh, but hate the, you know, getting up early, going to an airport, you know, we're getting in a van or a car. You know. I mean, first thing we do, people, <laughs> people learn now, some of the promoters is like, yeah, you're coming over. You know, I got a fishing trip lined up. I got this and this. And it's like, no, no, we want to go to our rooms and have a nap. <laughs> and then we'll go to sound check and have dinner and then we'll have another nap and then we'll do the show and then we'll have some cocktails after the show <laughs> and we'll go to bed at four get up at six and go to the airport so that's so that's that's what it is these days yes the life of an aging rocker as opposed to uh the early days yeah exactly well we have this this saying in our band it's like we want to, as slowly and as gracefully as possible, you know, keep going. <laughs> like in terms of, we're not going to uh, burn out. No, no, um, <laughs> no, no impending like a 300 date uh, end of the road tours for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no. That's where we like the Rolling Stones. I mean, Brad always said this, when the Rolling Stones hang him up, that's their 20 year warning. And they have not even said, you know, that this is their last tour. So, my knowledge, anyway. Unbelievable. I mean, yeah, to think that, <laughs> I mean, who knows? They could easily go another 20 years, I think, at this rate. Never know. Yeah. Yeah. With technology and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Just a Mick What do you think about bands that, that talk about uh, keeping going by replacing the members with new members? just to keep the legacy going. Do you think that that's, you know, we heard about some bands talking about doing that. There's a few, right? In Canada, mm -hmm. there's and April Wine. Yep, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. I know that for various reasons, Foreigner, you know, Mick Taylor kind of just picked, cherry picks the gigs he wants. Lou Graham is not even in the band, so, but there's still a Foreigner out there. I think it's odd, you know, um, but I don't know. I mean, that's not for me to decide in a way. It's kind of like, you know, some of these new uh, things that come up in the world that, oh, now it's this way and now it's that way. You know, okay. Whatever. Let me Speaking know. Speaking of now it's this way or now it's that way, uh, you kind of have a little, um, like the ending to the West Coast Band video. It's one of the funniest things. Like I laugh so hard. But I can't help but feel like it's like a, a little shot at the uh, the younger crowd there too, um, you know. Uh, what what kind of was the idea behind that that video and the uh, particularly that ending? Oh, where she's listening to something else, you know? Is that yes. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, Weck's daughter. Uh, Weck is the guy who owns the Elmo. Um, so we said, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you do that? And then, so she's listening to something else. Yeah, we just thought it was funny. You know, you bands out there trying its heart out and people just don't give a shit. 
<laughs> we're, uh, we can be pretty self-effacing and uh, we have, you know, we, we stole a phrase from uh, Courtney Taylor uh, from Dandy Warhols and you get two choices. It's fun or funny. And ideally it's both, but, but, you know, if things are fucked or things are like, uh, it's funny, you know, or you can look back on it as funny, certainly. And if it's really happening, it's fun. So we thought that was funny, you know, it was you hilarious. Know, kind of a, it's kind of a thing that we get sometimes, not so much these days, because I don't know why, but most of one of the funniest things, it's really annoying actually, is how many times we've been told by our fans or fans that we're their third or fourth favorite Canadian band. <laughs> Fuck off. Security, kill this person now. <clears throat> so, you know, it's like, Trooper, April Wine, Rush, you guys, the hip Blue Rodeo, Boot Sauce, you guys. It's like, why are you telling me this? You know, like, I went to my kids and say, you're my fourth favorite child, and I only have two. <laughs> I don't know if other bands go through that or it's just something that happens to us. Anyway, we... <laughs> I mean, we, once again, fun or funny, we laugh about it after the fact. Like, you mean that guy just said that? Everything pays money to see us or whatever, and then gets backstage to meet us and wins a contest or something. It's like, yeah, you know, you're my fourth favorite Canadian band. Canadian band, yeah. yeah where does that put you on the, uh, on the overall scale, right? <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> we're there on your radar yeah 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 and i guess that's one of those cases right where where it could either really piss you off or or it would just or you've just got to take it as it comes yeah well exactly so it's it's a good little uh bring you down to earth moment in a way <laughs> getting out of here now kind of moment <laughs> oh that is uh, that is funny. Sometimes though. I look at peanut, I make myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, look at it and tell it it's my fourth favorite sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd be known to do that. And then and then it goes and cries off in the corner. <laughs> Let's delete it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would be odd if you were if you were like uh, you know, sitting there at home like, oh, fourth favorite band, fourth favorite band. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's funny. The uh, the new album, I have to say, my second favorite song in your catalog <laughs> is on the new album, which is uh, Chicago. Oh, holy Chicago. crap! I love that. You know, like the riff, like that song. Where where does kind of the inspiration for that come from? It's very different, and it's just the whole album's very different. But I mean, it's it's so cool. Yeah, so the, the 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 walking blues riff that definitely is from a sound check. Dun, 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 you know, that's something we would do easily. Uh, and it's a story about my brother who was the who's in and out of the band. He's in, you know, he's in the on the cover now, and he's kind of in the band now because he's retired from his Live Nation gig. <laughs> but he's. He's been our keyboard player on the records and on tour, sort of off and on since the beginning. And during those days, during the Show Me record tour through the States, he was the road manager because, you know, you couldn't just be road manager. You had to do another job. So he was a keyboard player and road manager. And uh, yeah, we get to Chicago and 
driving overnight to get there and he's and we're like where are we staying he's like i don't know i just thought we'd pick some place <laughs> place available like there was no vacancy anywhere we're like dude you can't do this the <laughs> floor ended up being okay <laughs> and then yeah so he plays all the horns on the record too mm, wow great tasty stuff and all the keyboards except for a few things that dave and i did um so yeah in fact dave wanted to call the whole record saxophone there's like a lot of sax on this let's just call the record saxophone <laughs> and we didn't <laughs> <laughs> yes i was thinking that as i'm as i'm listening especially in the first half i'm like there's, there's another sax song. That, that's a lot of saxophone. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it was, uh, so like back getting back to the, when we created the thing, um, you know, I would go onto my basically laptop and do the riff, just sort of basic stripe it in, sing it, and then send it to Matt who would just sort of just on his iPhone, play drums to it. That's he sends that to Brad, play some kind of fill in baseline. And then, Dave and my brother would kind of contribute. And then he always came up with the tastiest bits on the sax. I was like, well, I guess we got to keep that because that's pretty tasty. And then we would get together in person and work it out and, and then retrack it. But yeah, a lot of his parts that he just sort of spontaneously came up with. And I guess, you know, because he just wasn't really part of the writing until this record, it was just sort of fresh blood, you know, in there. So. Well, and I love uh, options as well. I think that's a great way to end it and and got a little bit of nice tasty funk in there. Yeah. Well, Matt calls it our hollow notes song. <laughs> so white funk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, white funk. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great that uh, Matt and Brad and I, just three of us were together, I guess before the other guys had showed up and we just kind of got into that that thing. And uh yeah. Tell once again tells the story of the band. So he starts off with West Coast band and ends with options, kind of the same story in different perspectives, if that makes any sense. And uh, you know, well, this is what we're doing. This is because we don't have any other options, as Greg Keeler pointed out to me all those years ago. So but yeah, inside of options when you were young, you know, is is kind of the story, isn't it? That like you decided early on, there's no other options. This is it. Yeah. I mean, early on, we thought we were going to change the world. And, uh, well, how do you like it? <laughs> <We did>. <laughs> <laughs> the world changes anyways. But, uh, you know, it, you kind of, the flag that we carried, we, I guess we no longer carry in terms of, you know, we were thought we were taking over and sort of that music revolution trying to continue it and, and for a while there we were doing that uh and then it just becomes you know somebody else is carrying it or there is no fly i don't really know where music stands in terms of culture now you know i remember thinking all music is really is something you can go buy clothes at the mall you know and you hear it you know, what is it to a lot of people or it's on a soundtrack to a movie here i really know Certainly there's a lot of great acts out there, newer acts. You know, my daughters tell me about stuff all the time. And they sell out the Commodore, they sell out this. And so there's, there's, it's more niche now than, than universal. Mm -hmm. That makes any sense. It seemed like it was more universal. If you were into the alternative scene in the eighties, you kind of knew everyone and where everyone was from, you know, the American bands, the British bands and European bands and the Canadian bands, you kind of knew 
what was going on. Now, you know, I don't know how you know. I guess there's other ways people figure this out. But yeah, it's one of the things I'll say for sure about the album is that, um, you know, there, especially because of all the different textures and sounds that you have in it, like you give it that first listen, you kind of get, you kind of develop your favorite, but you, you give it the second and then third listen. And I think that's when everything starts to kind of, you know, come together and really form together as a, and you, and you really start hearing everything that you need to hear from it. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, we, we really enjoyed making it and putting in Dave and I produced it, you know, did all the, I guess, guitars and some of the other tasty bits, but uh, it was all, you know, tracked in the same studio and mixed in the same studio. So there's a continuity there and it's, it's really the most solid concept record that we've done. You know, in terms of the stories of the band, really, so what it is, simple as that sounds. I remember the uh, Adam Casper who mixed it. He goes, "I love this record. This is the only record I've mixed in my life that is completely literal." <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, tell it like it is. No, like you know, <laughs> metaphors or deep meanings or anything. It's just these are the stories of what happened. So, oh, that is awesome. Well, Neil, it has been amazing to talk to you. And I know that, uh, you know, we certainly look forward to doing it again. But please uh, tell all the fans where they can keep up with you, how they can find the new album, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, well, probably Instagram or Facebook, 5440 uh, accounts on those. I'm pretty up to date. Um, I, I think that's probably the way. I don't know. <laughs> There's probably a TikTok and an X or whatever, whatever it is now. I don't, I don't really go there, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been a treat to talk to you. And yeah. uh, we do hope that, uh, that there'll be another 40 years of uh, 5440 in the future. So we look yeah. forward to hearing all the new music. Well, thanks guys. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I'm locked in my uh, bathroom here because I got a full house. So <laughs> I said, I need quiet. And like nobody paid attention to that. <laughs> so, like, okay, I'm going in here. <laughs> See? That's a nice looking bathroom, man. Yeah. That's... Wow, that's huge. <laughs> yeah, it is nice, but it's <laughs> it's my only sanctuary. <laughs> I'm going, wow, he's got an issue. He's still in there. <laughs> that's the next album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, so thanks right, so thank much, Neil. Thank you very much, sir. See ya. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye now. This is a West Coast band. A Vancouver band. We gotta make fans. This is a West Coast band.